Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Line Media presents the Olivia Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Olivia Fox Podcast. It is me, yes, back in the country, y'all. I've been doing a little traveling, but I'm back here where I'm supposed to be. want to thank you guys so much for tuning in each and every new episode. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend the Olivia Fox Podcast. We are here. Well, today on the podcast, we have a biggie, y'all. It's a Grammy award-winning singer, songwriter, musician, producer. This woman's voice is so angelic. She has been compared to the voices of Tracy Chapman and Nina Simone, Roberta Flack. I mean, you know, to have those type of accolades, you got to be some kind of talent. Please welcome to the Olivia Fox podcast, Victory Boyd. Hello. Hi, Olivia. Thanks for having me. Thank you for um, allowing me this incredible opportunity. Um, For many of you who are hearing this name, you might remember seeing this wonderful, beautiful, talented, super talented artist on the Today Show. Maybe you've seen her perform on the Stella Awards. She even sang the national anthem during the NFL playoff game back in 2018. But she is here, right here, right now. And I'm so excited to get into it to talk to you. First and foremost, let's just tell little folks a little bit about your background information because you come from a musical family. You came up in Detroit. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, well, I am from a large musical family. I have eight siblings. So there are nine kids total and our two parents. Uh, We were raised in a a strong Christian family Um, and uh, were raised in on the west side of Detroit um, in the 90s. And during that time, you know, there were a lot of opportunities and traps for kids to become ensnared in, in different things in, in, in our community. And so my parents decided to create an opportunity for enlightenment for, for young people, an opportunity for uh, children to stumble into something that would take them to uh, a, a higher level in their purpose and calling. And, and so what they did was they created the Boys and Girls Choirs of Detroit. And, um, and I was able to join that choir at four years old. Um, wow. it, was, it was founded in 1990, uh, 1998, and I got to um, join shortly after it was founded. And so and so that's how I got my start in singing. Um, we would sing all sorts of music from hymns uh, to classical, to Negro spirituals, uh, to uh, jazz, ballads, standards, all sorts of things. And uh, it was a community choir, really a, a unique solution to help uh, kids have something edifying to, to join instead of a game, instead of, you know, all the other traps that were out there for young people at the time. And so, um, that was really how 
I got my start in music and it just evolved from there, you know. Now, being four years old, were you ever apprehensive or was something that was just in you, in the family, and it came natural to you? How was that as a young person? Do you remember back when you first kind of started into it? Yeah, for me, it was really, um, I just didn't want to be left out. You know, I had had three older siblings and they were all singing. Singing to me was a privilege that you got to do because you trained hard and you you, uh, were diligent and you were focused and you were qualified. And to me, you know, I wasn't qualified because I was four years old and you had to be six years old to join the choir. And so I wasn't afforded this privilege. And I, I kept begging my parents, you know, to give me the chance to sing. Um, now, if the, if the context wasn't set up like this, maybe I wouldn't have seen the value in singing. Um, but this was just my, my life at all the importance and all the value and all the priority was placed on singing in the choir and putting on the fancy suits and the fancy dresses and going to sing at important places for like the mayor and the national anthem at the, the Detroit Tigers baseball games and all sorts of like fancy things. Uh, that I didn't get to be a part of because I, I wasn't qualified. And so uh, my career, I'll say my career, you know, it really started with trying to prove that even though I don't quite measure up, I still uh, have what it takes to sing. And, and I've been proving myself ever since. Do you think having that type of competitive edge um, where it's really where you kind of had to really give up yourself and understand the opportunity that was in front of you, do you think that helped you later on in your career? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, Because I learned from a young age not to let um, other people's um, understanding of what I'm qualified to do. Uh, determine what I'm, what I actually am capable of. Um, it, it just instilled in me, you know, when people say, no, it's not possible. You can't do that. Uh, this unction to, to find a way how to prove that I actually can. Um, <laughs> and so, and it, it, it doesn't help that my name is victory. So <laughs> you kind of had to, you know, I think I think maybe your parents knew that you were you were already, you know, predestined to be victorious. Okay? <laughs> and things just kind of fell in place. Now, how old were you when your family decided to leave Detroit and move to New York? Uh I was 12 years old. Yeah, I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And was that a hard transition for you to make at that time because I know um, for kids during those ages between 11 and like 14, 15, where you kind of come in of age, you know, kids have issues at that time where they're really trying to find themselves. Was that a difficult transition for you or was it, you know, comfortable for you because you had your family? It was comfortable because I had my family. And then also we all had big dreams of making it in music. And if you're from Detroit yes. and you get to go to New York City, and sing, 
that's a big deal because kids from Detroit are not just up and going to know New York City, you know, for nothing. (laughs) But, But we got to go and actually exercise our craft in the greatest, some would say the greatest city in the world. You know, they say, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Anywhere. And it's like, we had the chance to like, take our music to New York City. And we had this hope that we're gonna make it big in New York. And we did exactly that. So your siblings got together, you guys put together a group. Who was instrumental in doing that? And who decided where you would be in terms of that, that group? Like, who decided what your role would be? Do you think you had the strongest voice in your family? Or do you think, you know, maybe one of your siblings was and you didn't quite really know where you were going to be in that place? Well, at the time when we first started, um, uh, my brother Abraham, who's, who's like a year and a half older than me, um, he probably had the strongest voice uh, because he was he was the oldest amongst us that were singing, and um, uh, he he had already finished high school, and so he was out singing almost every day. Um, and then when I finished high school, I started being I started to go out and sing every day as well, um, and so our voices were the strongest um, out of our siblings naturally because of our age and because of our positioning. And, um, and so, and then I started playing the guitar as well. Um, So really it was me, like I would, I would sing and play the guitar as a soloist uh, just, you know, independently of my family. And then my brother would join me at times, my brother Abraham. And we just made a whole thing where we would always um, just go out and sing extra in addition to on top of everyone else. And just a little context, when we came to New York City, our family did what is called busking. And busking is is essentially what you do when you're not waiting for someone to give you an opportunity. You take opportunity by taking your talent to the streets and seeing who will receive your talent. So basically it's someone, some people call it street performing. Um, you see people uh, on the sidewalk or in, in the sub in the train station or wherever singing and they gather a crowd based off of the raw talent that they have. And then people, people pay for the performance with tips and so we started doing that when we first came to New York in 2006. Actually, the first place we did busking was outside of the Apollo Theater um, when, when James Brown died and there was a big viewing of his body at the Apollo Theater. And so we, um, we made a trip by faith to New York City to, to sing outside of the Apollo Theater during that time. You know, it's so ironic that you you bring up the word word busking. Um, I was overseas and I saw this sign that said no busking allowed. And I had to turn around and ask somebody what that is. And they were saying performance in the streets or, you know, performing and putting 
you know, out putting your talent out there in the street. So that's so crazy that you just said that. But yeah. um, so tell us a little bit about your performance in Central Park, because I know you performed in some of the subways as well as in Central Park. Tell us a little bit about that experience for you. Yeah, well, Central Park is an international stage, especially where we performed, which was at the Bethesda Fountain and Terrace. And the acoustics carried our voices so far. We would sing in four and five part harmony together with our dad. And uh, we would draw crowds of hundreds of people every time we sang. And that's how we sustained our family and really grew in our craft um, as artists. Um, before, much before getting into the commercial music industry, we spent 10 years singing in Central Park almost every day. And wow. you imagine the, the cultivation of, you know, our artistry that took place during those 10 years. Um, yeah, it really set us up for, for once, for when the doors did open for the commercial music industry. But, um, but the experience of serving people of all walks of life, all nationalities, and seeing how our talent was an international commodity, basically. Like, these are, it doesn't matter what language, what race, what country, our voices and our song was respected form of value, regardless. And so it transcended you know, culture, it transcended nationality, religion, race, all of these things. And so that was a really big uh, just experience for us to, to show the value of what it is that we contribute to the world with our song. So where, what was the point where Rock Nation came, came a-knocking? How did that all come about where you ended up getting signed? Because that's a very, as an artist, that's a very difficult point to get to, especially when you're talking about someone on the caliber of a Jay-Z. So, and and I'm thinking, you know, Jay-Z, Rap, Rock Nation. I mean, how did that whole thing transpire? Yeah, well, um, so there's this British gentleman by the name of James Samuel, who actually, I would credit him as the one of discovering me. Um, he was really drawn to, uh, my unique style of songwriting and just my, my style. He's, he was comparing me to Tracy Chapman. Now in, in, in the UK, Tracy Chapman is a huge phenomenon. She's, she's big in the United States as well, but in the UK, she's a superstar. And so James, when he heard my talent, he was like, this girl is a superstar um, uh, because he could see the same kind of essence that Tracy Chapman had. And so, um, so James became a huge advocate for me and he's good friends with Jay-Z. And um, he sent a video of me singing in Central Park to Jay-Z and, and, and Jay enjoyed it and was like, I, I want to meet this girl. And so we're connected on email. Me and my dad are connected on email with Jay-Z. And, and we end up going to meet him at, his, at the top floor level of this skyscraper in Times Square where, where Jay's office is or was at the time. And um, we just 
sit down and share our stories. And the remarkable thing about it is that even though Jay has a completely different art form, there are a lot of similarities in our stories as African-American artists. Jay-Z is a trailblazer. Um, nobody was trying to give him no chance to express himself. So he took his chance. He took it by taking his craft to the streets. And he was selling his music out the trunk of his car on the street corners in Brooklyn. Nobody was trying to give hip hop no chance on no radio, no nothing. And that was the same with us. You know what I mean? We took our chance. We weren't waiting around for nobody to give it to us. And we, we were making our albums and selling our albums to whoever would listen. And sometimes the people that were listening were not, the people that listened to, sometimes it wasn't the people that you expected. Sometimes it wasn't black folks. Sometimes it wasn't Christians. Some, but we ourselves are Christians, singing Christian music and black. <laughs> But the people that were listening were all, you never know who's going to be there to listen. And so, and so there was a lot of mutual respect in this way. And, and, and so Jay was like, that's, that's the, that's the ingredients for how I ended up where I'm at. And I see that you guys are made out of the same thing. And so that was the foundation for why there was uh, room for partnership. And, you know, we had been singing in Central Park for over 10 years at the time, and no one had ever offered us a record deal. And here we are with one of the most famous people in the world. And he's the one that is like, puts value and puts like, yeah, he's the one that puts investment behind seeing the cultivation of our art form, even though it's much different than his art form. And so it looks like a very odd pairing, but we've, we've even though we've had our bumps along, along the way over the last six years, we've gotten to a place where, where we're able to get this traction and, and mutual support and and um, and yeah, it's it's working out pretty well. Talent, real talent knows real talent. Exactly. So I'm sure you know he was probably like, okay, <laughs> this one right here, we got to grab. Now, did when when you went out on, as a solo artist, did you were you feeling some kind of way about not being with your family and your family group, or was it kind of like your family was like, if you can go out there and do what you love and have what you have a passion for you know, we're all for it. Were there any kind of feelings within yourself about that? I mean, always, anytime, you know, you take a risk like that, uh, you're going to have all sorts of doubts and fears and, you know, but I, I really just chose to elevate my faith in God over my fears of what might happen and how this might affect everything going forward. And, um, and, I'm really thankful that that everyone can now see my path um, was necessary and and that um, 
it might have it might have had a sting at first, but now it's to the benefit of everybody. So how did you end up working with Kanye on his album? Uh, that's another divinely orchestrated thing. You know, a lot of people assume that, oh, Jay-Z introduced Victory to Kanye and that's how she worked with him. But really, no, it wasn't even that. Um, uh, it was a series of, it was a chain of events <laughs> that one thing led to another. Um, but essentially, uh, someone that I randomly met at an award show invited me to Sunday service, um, in 2019. And I, I went, um, it was, it was all the, the rage back then. It was like this trendy thing to be able to go to Sunday service. So I I was a little, I, I was reserved because I'm not usually the one to jump on trends. Um, I wanted to see for myself, you know, if it's all, if it's all in a, authentic expression of the power of God, or is it just another entertainment show? And so when I went, I experienced a true, genuine testimony in how Jesus restored and delivered and and gave Kanye new life. And it was almost as if he was telling the story. So I wrote this, this album called The Broken Instrument, and it's a story of redemption and restoration. And so when I went to Sunday service, it was as if Kanye was testifying like he was the broken instrument, like the Lord Ooh. brought him in his broken state and restored value to his life and and and, and gave him purpose and he had never heard my song, but it was as if I was watching this song in real time. Um, and so, and so afterwards, after the service, I said, Kanye, I, w- I went up to him and introduced myself. And I said, you have to listen to my song, Broken Instrument, um, because I see that you're living this testimony. And, and he was like, Nice to meet you. <laughs> I, I don't have time to listen to anything right now, but um, maybe sometime in the future. Um, and what's crazy is that two weeks later, Kanye was in my audience, right as I was about to sing Broken Instrument. And um, I, was, I was scheduled to perform at this private party for, um, for a uh, well, well-known uh, venture capitalist uh, and philanthropist Robert F. Smith, and um, Kanye. So I, I performed at, at Robert's ranch, and Kanye was in my audience there. And so this was two weeks after I told him he needs to listen to Broken Instrument, and then he he walks in right before I sing Broken Instrument at this ranch, and so after the performance. Kanye comes up and says, we've got to work together. We exchange numbers. And then we're in the studio uh, about a month later working together. At first we were working on my music together. And then, uh, and then he asked me to help him write his album, Jesus is King. 
And that wow. began the journey for this great album of Jesus is King. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That's an amazing story. Like, (laughs) unbelievable. But you know what? I truly, truly believe when things are meant to be, somehow it all just kind of works out. And you're like thinking... You know, as you look back on it, you'd be like, wow, how the pieces just kind of fell into place. Yeah. You know, but if you are a person that has a strong faith, it's kind of like, I'm going to go wherever I'm guided. And so that that is an amazing, amazing story mm-hmm. of how, you know, f- for you to meet someone of, uh, on that level that had that connection with you and the song that you wrote. And then, boom, he's in your audience. I mean, what are the chances of that happening? That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah. That is just incredible. I just, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. That I just wrote was greatly influenced by the work that I did on Jesus is King. You know, I learned so much from that process. And I also, um, I also developed a practice of writing potent gospel songs um, from that experience. And, uh, and so right after we released that album, you know, the pandemic hit a few months later and there was nothing more that I would, that I wanted to write other than potent gospel songs that had the power to fill my soul. And so, um, and so I started writing these songs for myself and then I, I realized that, you know, the whole world needs these songs. And so I started writing my album, Glory Hour. Uh, I started developing the songs to, to be prepared for an album. Um, and, and, you know, it took a couple years, but here we are in 2023. And this is, I would say, the baby of Jesus is King because it, it came from that, it, that, um, origin you know that that, that's the origins of how this project came to be we're talking to recording artist victory um i saw online um and it really really stuck with me and i'm like oh i gotta talk to her about that the glory hour yeah can you tell people what that means to you and how you're able to articulate that concept to people because it it spoke to me so Hmm. i really wanted you to share that yeah, yeah. Well, you see, every every 24-hour time period, we are reminded that darkness exists. But we're also reminded that it cannot remain in the presence of the sun. As soon as the sun comes on the scene, it devours every trace of darkness. Hmm. And here's the thing. No other light has the power to do what the sun can do. And I'm of the belief that this is a big metaphor for what only Jesus can do. And a lot of times we experience darkness 
and we we try to do what only God can do. We try to make things better. We put our hope in different things. But I want with this album to encourage people, it's okay if it's nighttime. You don't have to pretend as, as if it's daytime. You don't have to pretend as if it's a glory hour when it's not. What we do when it's nighttime is we wait with expectancy. And we make it a little less dark by lighting our candle of hope and igniting it with the flame of faith. You keep mm. hope alive with the flame of faith. And you wait for the glory of Jesus Christ to do what only he can do. And at the appointed time, in the same way that when the sun rises, it's like a particular hour in the morning when it goes from dark to light. That's glory hour. And sometimes we might not know how much longer we have till glory hour. It's been dark a long time. But in a moment, once that you never know when that moment's going to come, but when mm -hmm. it comes, all of darkness is devoured. And so we wait with expectancy and we keep hope alive knowing that. Because here's, here's what our confidence is. And, you know, the scriptures say that it says that death was swallowed up in victory. You know, a lot of times we, we feel as if we mourn as if death is the end. But scriptures say that there's coming the time when Jesus will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. And death will be no more. And, and, you know, you look at the fact that everyone pretty much has, everyone has to answer to the power of death. But death has to answer to the power of Jesus because he rose from the grave. And that's, that's really it. It's this hope in this, in this glory that's gonna devour and swallow up all of everything that would ever make us grieve and cry and mourn and, and be burdened with, with darkness. Glory hour is coming. And so that's what this album is about. There's someone out listening right now that needs to hear that message. Because a lot of times when you're in a dark place, light is the last thing that you can even imagine because you are so surrounded right. in a dark place. Mm -hmm. And that darkness can be anything mm -hmm. from your physical state, mental, yeah. wherever you are. And so to be able to have a message like that for people through music I think that may be why, other than your voice just being so angelic and beautiful, but the words can inspire people to hold on mm -hmm. and believe that, you know, there's a better day coming. Yes. If you had to choose between singing and songwriting, if someone said victory, um, you're going to have to make a choice. <laughs> What's it going to be? Because you, you can't do both. <laughs> Which would you choose? <laughs> Which would you choose? Well... 
I think there are a lot of nice voices. I think there are a lot of powerful voices. But I think my perspective is more rare than my voice. And I have a rare voice. But it's the voice of my pen that is even more rare. And so if I had to choose which contribution I gave to the world, it would be the voice of my pen. Uh, because I want to provoke people uh, to, to different perspectives and higher, higher ways of thought as I discover them. And I'm not saying that my way of thought is the highest, but I'm always in pursuit of higher higher ways of thought, knowing that there's always more. And, and so it, 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 I always try to pursue that and revealing that in my music as opposed to just going along with whatever's trendy and whatever people want to hear. Um, I really invest the effort to innovate in terms of thoughts um, and, and lead, be a thought leader. And so I, 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 um, I would choose songwriting. And it would last forever. I mean, if Dolly Parton teaches us nothing, we know that she would never, ever have to make another song ever after, you know, writing a song, I Will Always Love You, and then Whitney Houston carrying on. I mean, that song will live forever. Exactly. Just forever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, your voice as well, but mm -hmm. I think the words, they last. And I think they have a huge impact on so many people across the board. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your feedback on the industry, the music industry, because there are artists out there that um, feel like they don't have a place or a voice in the industry based on what we're seeing and what we're hearing. Yeah. What would be your advice to an artist that feels that way, that they are, you know, are creative, they have a beautiful voice, they write songs, but they feel like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it because it seems that the industry is not supportive of my type of art. What would be your advice to an artist out there or songwriter, musician? Yeah. What would be your advice? Well, I would just start by saying that every single person uh, is an artist because we are created in the image of God, who is the ultimate artist. You look outside and you see that there's a new art piece in the sky every day, you know, painted by God. Like we're, we're created in his image. We have the capacity to walk in this part of our identity. Most people don't. And, and the fact of the matter is that there's a, a really big process of elimination that comes down to who dares to believe that they are an artist. There's a natural selection of who will actually exist in this world as a creative person and as, as an artist who, and the, 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 the natural like selection boils down to who, who believes anyway. Oh, but there's no space for me. There's no support for my unique art form. Okay. That eliminates 99% of all people that have an art form because they don't, they don't see that anyone would care to listen to their song or to see their painting or to 
and and so it gets choked out. The seeds, the seeds of their creations, get choked out by the weeds of doubt. You can't, you cannot stand as an artist without faith. Art is an expression of your unique identity. And a lot of times, because of the fact that there is no one, you are one of a kind, there's not another person like you in all the world or in all of history. And there never will be another one. But the fact of the matter is that, who am I comparing, what is my point of reference? If I stand out there and express who I am, the unique nature of who only I am, who can I affirm myself by to measure if who I am is good or if who I am is a joke? And then, and then here's another part of, of natural selection that happens. As soon as someone has just a little ounce of courage and they express themselves authentically and uniquely, and as soon as they do, people start laughing as if they are a joke. Then that eliminates another Whatever percentage of people are left, that eliminates most of the percentage left because they're like, oh, man, they're right. I am a joke. I knew I was a joke. And then as soon as I opened my mouth, they laughed at me as if I was a joke. And then and then there you have it's artists are rare, not because there are only a handful to ever. No, everyone is. But most people don't overcome these things. You have to have the audacity to believe anyway, to open up your mouth and sing anyway. They're laughing at you. You might not even have, see, here's the thing. Being an artist and having skill are two different things. I'm not saying everybody has skill. You might open your mouth and be out of tune and sing all the notes flat and all the notes wrong. But that's not, that doesn't me measure the merits of your artistry. That doesn't measure the merits of your expression. And so you have to believe that even if I don't have ear training, I still have a song that is worth being expressed and heard. And even if people, even if people hold my lack of ear training against me, I'm still going to give my song permission to exist is is this defiant faith and so this is what i would say to artists you have to you have to have this defiant faith sure there's probably not an industry out there that is going to tell you that that you're just so amazing and here's money to go be amazing with and invest in, it's probably not gonna happen. You have to tell yourself that. You have to invest in yourself. Be like, I'm, whether they invest in, in me or not, I believe in my expression. Whether the industry will listen to me or not, I'm going to listen to me and I believe that there is an audience out there that will see the value in what I have to say and express. 
and 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 I believe that I am a prolific artist. And the world, I would be doing a great disservice to the world if I withheld my expressions. Whether they know it or not, I, this is what I believe. And whether they laugh at me or not, I still believe this. And so that's, that's just the truth of what needs to happen. Otherwise, we become victims of this process of elimination, natural selection, like all this. And you look at hip hop, those brothers, ancestors, especially the early hip hop artists, they believed in themselves. Yes. They could not really hold a note. They sang anyway because they believed in their express. They believed in the in the in the art and the expression that they had to contribute to the world. Here we are, fifty years later, and look at the whole world celebrating their art. That's not how it started. So you have to believe in yourself. Period. Period. That's it. So just like heaven, you're (laughs) single. Tell us how you came up with that concept and idea. And for those of you who haven't heard, you have to. Because you can go on what your YouTube, you can go on your Instagram. Where do they find you on Instagram? Yeah, you could uh, find me at Victory Boyd on any... um, any social media platform, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and just like in heaven, you know, it, it's a song that I wrote. Really, I was, in, I was inspired to write a song for this generation to make prayer a, as easy as it is to listen to your favorite song. So there's so many young people just listening mindlessly and meditating mindlessly on fun songs. And I said, well, what if a powerful prayer was made into a fun song that people just mindlessly meditate on and, and day and night? And so it was, that was my goal. Um, I called my brother, who is a producer, and he always makes really, really fun, hard hip-hop beats. And I said, Israel, Israel is his name. I said, Israel, I need you to make me something for the kids. This is not a Tracy Chapman singer songwriter kind of vibe. I need something that the kids will do all their dances to and everything so that (laughs) they'll have this song on repeat. And all the while their soul is being conditioned in the prayer that Jesus tells us to pray. And so that was my goal with this song. Words are powerful. Yes. And so if you can mm-hmm. put a positive word in a song, because it's really, you know, kids, it's the beat, mm-hmm. they hear it. But if you could put a message in there, you have really not only entertained, but also enlightened there and hopefully go. changed somebody's soul exactly. for the better. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be hitting the road anytime soon? Where can people see Victory, are you going to be going out on tour? Yeah, because I did see online that you sold out New York. Yes, and so for those that are that are listening and saying, "Wow, hmm. I want to see her live in concert," because you can't this this woman can sing. I didn't say sing; I said sign. <laughs> she can sing. So where can people see Victory? Are you going to be going out on the road? 
Yeah, actually, I'm out on the road now. I just had a show in Boston last night and New York City the night before. Um, my next stop is Nashville, and then I'm going to be in New Orleans. Um, we got Atlanta being added and uh, several other dates being added as well. So are you coming to the nation's capital anytime soon? Oh, I was just there last Sunday. Um, <sighs> on, uh, on the I have trip. to catch you on the, on, the, on the flip side. On the flip side. Now, where can people find out information about trying to find you on the road? Yeah, if you go to my website, victoryboyd.com, you'll see all my dates there. I'm actually doing, a, I'm, I was just added to a, a big arena tour with an artist by the name of Lauren Daigle. And I'll be opening for her in eight arenas around the country, uh, starting in Los Angeles at the crypto.com arena. And so that's going to be amazing. That's going to be huge. Yeah. A lot of thousands, <laughs> thousands of people every night. That's amazing. Any closing words for those who are just now finding out who Victory is mm-hmm. or have seen you on the Today Show perform? or Stella Awards, is there, is there something that you'd like to leave with folks? Yeah, I would just say um, continue. Well, it's important to, to develop a practice of trusting, uh, trusting God and trusting the process that he's taking you through. Sometimes it may look like that you're going backwards when you trust God because He's, he's the perfect coach. You know, if your destiny is uh, the Olympics gold medal uh, and, and you're just trying to get out there and start running, like the coach is not going to, the coach is going to take you into deep training, deep diet, you know, deep, like different things that are going to prepare you for this 10 year journey that might look like it's going backwards, but you got to trust your coach. And so uh, I just would say that um, you might see a fast way to hurry up and get rich and get famous and get successful. Um, but trust, trust God as your coach and the path that he brings you on. And ultimately, it's, it's the best path. Indeed. Indeed. What a positive message. <laughs> it has been so wonderful talking to you, your energy. You just seem so at peace. You know what I mean? And I'm, I, you know, I'm envious of that because, you know, we live in such crazy times and things are just, you know, all over the place. So to actually have an opportunity to speak to someone where that calm and that peace just comes through, I'm like, give me some. <laughs> give me some. I need some. I need some. Thank you. But I, you know, I get it. The message is clear that you really have to believe in yourself and believe and something more powerful than yourself to to know that no matter what the situation is in front of you, there's always a better day ahead. And so I appreciate that message, Victory. I, I, I wish you continued success. And thank you for being a positive light and, and giving people an alternative to the madness wow. where you know that no matter what, there's a better day ahead. I, I just really, really appreciate you spreading that word for us here. And uh, continue to do you. Yes, ma'am. It's my joy and pleasure. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for the Olivia Fox podcast. Again, make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend to check me out. 
And we will talk again soon. The Olivia Fox Podcast is produced and hosted by Olivia Fox. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Olivia Fox Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, comment, and rate. Follow Olivia Fox on IG at Olivia Fox Radio. Follow the Mean Old Line Media Podcast Network at Mean Old Line Media. Get the Mean Old Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The Olivia Fox Podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.